0: hello again everyone welcome to cotton grower magazine's cotton companion podcast with the end of its crop progress reports for 2023 it appears usda has declared cotton harvest all but complete now their final report on november 27th showed that 83 percent of this year's crop was out of the field and i'm sure the rest is either out or following very soon which means gins are running full throttle across the cotton belt and we're going to start seeing those final production numbers shortly after the first of the year i'm jim Stedman, editor of cotton grower and i'm flying solo again today as my colleague and friend beck Barnes is away on business for a few days so once again we're going to keep things short and simple for this episode as all of your uh, dear listeners know it's been another roller coaster of a year for cotton from one end of the cotton belt to the other something or sometimes multiple somethings have impacted cotton production it's never easy But those natural and man-made obstacles can often make it that much more difficult. So with most of the crop at the gin, we're going to sit back and take a little breather and visit with Dr. Bill Robertson. He's a retired Arkansas cotton specialist, now living life as a conservation agronomist from his home base in Bradford, Arkansas. Bill's been an active part of cotton production for many years, and he always brings a unique perspective to any discussion. We're going to bring him on in just a couple minutes. So be sure to stay tuned for some true pearls of wisdom and other thoughts from Bill. But first, our sponsor partner, the American Cotton Shippers Association,
1: has a brief message they'd like to share. The American Cotton Shippers Association, also known as AXA, is a trade association primarily made up of cotton merchants founded in 1924. AXA members manage the majority of the world's cotton trade, providing services of merchandising, delivery logistics, and risk management to their customers. AXA is proud to be celebrating its 100th anniversary this year. Join them in Scottsdale, Arizona in June 2024 for their Centennial Celebration event. Well, thanks to our
0: friends at AXA for that message and certainly for their support. Now, before we get to our discussion with Bill Robertson, we do have a bit of breaking news to share that'll likely be good news to some cotton growers in certain geographies. After successfully completing a comprehensive Endangered Species Act consultation process, Corteva's enlist herbicides appear poised for expanded use in formerly restricted counties in key growing regions across the U.S. Now this uh, this, this ESA review was initially conducted by the EPA and largely confirmed by consultation with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. The result is a final biological opinion that supports the restoration of previously restricted counties, including counties in Georgia and Texas, for use of enlist herbicides and eliminating all whole county application restrictions, which in effect broadens farmer's future access to the entire line of enlist herbicide products. Corteva is urging applicators to continue to abide by current product labels until supplemental labels are issued, and certainly consult with your local sales professional about how these upcoming changes may apply to individual operations. In addition to following current label guidelines, growers and applicators should refer to the Endangered Species Protection Bulletins, which will include targeted sub-county restrictions in Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, and Texas. Well now we're going to open our virtual cotton companion studio and welcome our longtime friend and now self-proclaimed conservation agronomist, <laughs> Bill Robertson, back to the podcast. Bill, it's it's been too long since you've joined us. So welcome back to the Cotton Companion.
2: Jim, I appreciate the invite and and uh and always, always happy to uh join you and and uh and talk about cotton or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever's going on whatever
0: whatever it is we need to talk
1: about yeah. right?
2: yeah now, you know you know extension people you know you just you know we we never turn down an opportunity to talk <laughs> <laughs> that,
0: that's that's whether you're still on the payroll or retired too right
2: yeah well kind of you know extension you know it is just kind of it just grow just it just it's part of you you know you're yeah. either made for extension or you're not and my yeah. wife and i are both uh both extension people so (laughs) we enjoy the opportunity to talk about things
0: well that's that's good because i one thing about folks may or may not be aware that that, you know of course you did retire from university of arkansas almost a year ago uh but i know you haven't slowed down slowed down a bit uh that's that's just not really your nature what has year one of retirement been like for you and what exactly is a conservation agronomist
2: we'll start off on what's it been like And when I first stopped going to work every day, I just had a lot of Saturdays. It was Sunday (laughs) when we went to church, but every other day was Saturday, and I'd be driving into town, and I'd see a school bus on the road. I thought, "What is a school bus doing driving, driving, driving on on a Saturday?" (laughs) And so, uh, and so, there was a little getting used to there. I've kind of got, I've kind of got into a swing now. I. Did a little bit of consulting with the Soil Health Institute, and mm-hmm. then uh, kind of when you get in with the uh, Arkansas Soil Health Alliance, even though I wasn't uh, with the university anymore, I'm still highly involved in them and and still part of the Soil Health Subcommittee uh, meeting with the NRCS, so active with that. Um, got, you know, busy here at the farm. My wife was had been the full-time farmer, and I was the spouse of the job in town, so we could have insurance. And after retired, uh, 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 started spending more time here at the farm because before I was just a weekend farmer.
0: Right.
2: And, uh, and my wife, uh, her, her folks are, are, uh, you know, we're, we're all getting more birthdays. I'm moving a little slower. <laughs> my hands have been hurting with arthritis and all this, but anyway, <laughs> uh you know her mom and dad we help get them to the, the the doctors and it seemed like they're going to the doctors a little more and i'm going to the doctor a little more here and there and she's got an elderly aunt and then my wife teaches at classes at uh, at ozarka community college mm-hmm. at melbourne and also at uaccb uh in in batesville and so uh there's there's a lot of things here on the farm that had to be done every day. And, and when she's gone or, or whatever, then that leaves me to do the chores. So, you know, I've really picked up the slack on, on taking care of things. We've got, we've got a lot of things going on. We've got, uh we've got some polled Hartford cows that are registered cows and we have a few commercial cows, but it got to where, you know, we, we sell bulls. Uh, a lot of people mm-hmm. have Angus background cattle and, and they like to take, baldies to the sale barn so they're always looking for a good hereford bull so we do pretty good selling bulls but it got to where we weren't you know besides selling bulls we're not making a lot of money with cows so we kind of thinned our cows out and we've gotten heavier into sheep uh we've got pretty close to 250 ewes now and about 50 goats and then uh you know we quarantine horses and we have some horses and donkeys and mules and and uh my wife has uh another small business on the side with a commercial hatchery. Um, She raises heritage uh, exhibition birds. Mm-hmm. So we have chickens, ducks, turkeys, and geese. And so we have those all <laughs> separated by breed and breeding pens. And everyone's got a water bucket that needs to be cleaned out <laughs> and have to be fed every day. And then we have some pasture pigs and, and, uh, you know, the, we have chickens, ducks, turkeys, and geese. And so we have quite an assortment of things. So, so we're always the ones that, that folks call on and, and we love, Carrie and I love doing this to, to, for petting zoos. We do a lot of things, kind of circle it back to ag awareness that we Mm -hmm. do with with churches and schools here here locally and so we we enjoy doing that and we're we're still active we we enjoy working with kiddos so in our county fair we live in Jackson County Arkansas and uh, we have we're we have our county fair in conjunction with Cross County and Woodruff County and mm-hmm. we and mo I mm-hmm. say we my wife is the superintendent of the livestock part on that. So we help with the with the kiddos there with the rabbits and the chickens and, and the other livestock uh for the show. And and we're also active at the state fair. Uh well, my wife and I are superintendents of the dairy goat show and the breeding sheep show. <laughs> so that keeps us busy.
0: I'm I'm well, beginning to wonder if you've actually retired at all.
2: Yeah, well the <laughs> farm you, bureau
0: or have you just shifted careers at this point? <laughs> just
2: kind of shifted careers. <laughs> uh, Farm Bureau has both, Carrie and I are on the board. Carrie rolled off, uh, oh, a couple of years ago is, is our county president here in Jackson County. You know, Jackson County is a rice county. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was, it was a little unusual. Carrie was the first female to be to hold the office as uh, county Farm Bureau pres- president president. And uh, and most all the other producers are, are are livestock. I mean, not livestock. We're the only livestock. When the others are row crops with rice, uh, corn, and beans, and we have a lot of leadership in those commodities here in Arkansas. So, we're, so we feel very fortunate to 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 be able to be a part of Farm Bureau, and and they elected me onto the board this year. And uh, another thing going on uh, is uh, we were the 2023 jackson county farm family of the year that's great congratulations our, so i think that's the first time a, a non-row crop farm has been farm family of the year in jackson county so so we're we're staying pretty busy with things
0: <laughs> sounds good well you know during your your tenure on the academic and and extension side and even looking back in some of the previous roles with national cotton council and and other other groups You've been a big proponent of soil health, and I know you mentioned you're doing some work with the Soil Health Institute right now. How did you get interested and involved in that? And and from your perspective, how far have those practices advanced over the past decade or so?
2: Yeah, well, I really got interested in that when I was working with the National Cotton Council. And I think as most agronomists, or I know myself as an agronomist, I really Except for, you know, doing nutrient analysis or, you know, taking soil samples, I was really mostly just concerned with what was going on above the soil surface on a cotton plant yeah. or, or corn or beans or whatever else I was growing. And then when I started with the Cotton Council, we were, the sustainability was coming on and, and I never really give a lot of thought to the supply chain and what the supply chain needs and, and, and wants and, and the raw products they source and the sustainability thing come along, and uh, the the field to market alliance for sustainable agriculture had the field print calculator, and Andy Jordan and I did a lot of work, and we we ran a couple of pilots to to just see if that if that calculator would work for cotton, and he had a pilot in Louisiana, and I went back to my home home country in in uh, the southern high plains of Texas and had a pilot there, and and we helped that program come a long ways and it, and it fit for cotton. Mm -hmm. And so when we looked at what the supply chain wanted is to be more sustainable, the, the, the biggest thing we could do was it all goes back to improving soil health. And uh, so that's when I got started into that. And, and, you know, you can't, you can't sell something to somebody if you don't believe it and understand it yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. Jim. And so there were a lot of things I had to learn. About soil health, and in the quickest way for us, especially here in the mid south, to improve soil health is to to utilize cover crops and reduce tillage. Because you know, if you look at what NRCS, you know, there's four basic uh, things we can do to improve soil health, and one is to is to armor the soil to keep it covered, keep residue on that soil surface. You know, that helps um, with our temperature, uh, cooler temperatures. And uh, helps retain soil moisture, having living roots in the soil as many months out of the year as you can. And And I don't know if I may be getting a little long because you may have to wind me down a little bit, but but Jim, <laughs> I remember back in college and in, in graduate school uh, taking a plant physiology course, and we talked about root exudates. And you know, there's so many the the Krebs cycle and all, all these different cycles and counting ATPs and all this stuff was you know it was all overwhelming for a farm boy like me. But uh when we got into root exudates, it just seemed like the silliest thing ever. And 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 my main my main thought on that was okay, is this going to be on the test? Because you know, I just wanted to discount root exudates, but root exudates are a big part of improving soil health. Uh and and I didn't realize this till I started learning more about uh, soil health and root exudates and all that. That that a corn plant when it's very actively growing, I've seen papers where they they feel like it leaks seventy percent of all the the sugars that it makes in a day. Over the course of the year, between thirty five and forty percent. So the plants are 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 feeding and tending the microbes in the soil, just like as farmers, livestock mm-hmm. farmers, we feed and tend to our livestock. They are feeding and tend into theirs. And, and it's so interesting that plants can, 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 uh, leak out certain compounds to signal the soil microbes to get them specific thing. So they communicate back and forth. And you know, the first time you hear things like that, you think, oh, that's BS. I know when I started getting into this, that BS flag went at the flagpole a whole lot of times. <laughs> and you know, I visit with people and and say, okay, we got a hard pen. What what do we need to do? And I say, well plant a deep rooted cereal crop. Uh and um, and that'll go a long way toward reducing compaction. So I said, Well, already ca- already got a hard pan. Do I need to break that? Out? Oh no no no! Once I started doing a cover crop, I never had to do any deep tillage. Poof! There goes the BS flagpole, <laughs> or BS flag at the flagpole. And so I got into that, and 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 I found that. That it, was, that it was true. So we got, we cover the soil. We have living roots. The root exudates are so important and having diversity and having different things leaking in the soil, different things growing in the soil. Cause you know, <laughs> you know, like me, I've heard people say, you know, when you, when you go to a salad bar and I'm this way, when you go to a salad bar, I don't just get one thing. I like a lot of different things. <laughs> well, the microbes in the soil are the same way. They like a lot of different things. You know, look at deer, look at goats. They're very, they are highly, they desire a lot of diversity in their diet. And, and then, so those three things really go a long ways toward helping build soil structure. And so the number four thing is, is to not destroy the soil structure. So reduce our tillage. So those big four things are what we can do to improve soil health. And so I started trying to learn those things. I busy with farmers and, and I have to figure out, okay, that can't be true. And then i look at it and say, okay, it is true. And then from the science part in me say, okay, why is that true? Mm -hmm. And so I learned a lot of those things, but I first started here on the farm. So I was working in national cotton council. I wasn't working in a cotton field. And so I was trying those things here in our pastures. And, and it was just amazing to me with the farm we bought, we bought, it was pretty cheap. And the reason it's cheap, the lady at the lady owned it before, bless her heart. She had a lot of horses and horses are terrible on pastures and compaction was out of this world. And there was, there was a couple of cows here on the farm that came along with the farm. Because nobody could catch them. (laughs) (laughs) So they just stayed here. And the cow patties would just hang around forever because there was no life in the soil. And so I started trying some of these things. And Richard Petcher in Alabama, I went to a a presentation. I know it used to be the, the cotton short course. Now it's the row crop short course going on in Mississippi right now uh i met him there and he was talking about cover crops i said okay i got to try this and so he set me up on some things and i learned a lot working with him and working on pastures and it works so good on pastures all of a sudden, those cow patties disappeared. When we got a big rain, the rain soaked in. It didn't all run off. And, and our species, in and over over a multiple years or several years, I noticed a change in species on what was growing in the pasture. So it worked really good in pastures. So I thought, okay, if this works good in pastures, it has to work in row crops. So it just finally got on my radar screen. So then I go out there and look, and there's farmers that are already doing this you know tim smith had had brought me out to his farm not long after i came to arkansas or some of the farmers he was working with to show me some of these things and i thought oh yeah this can't be you know whatever whatever you know it can't be right because you know that bs flag uh went at the flagpole and and i didn't make the time to 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 really get into that some but but these things are real and um and so there's a lot we've done to improve our farm by concentrating on soil health. And then there's some farmers that we've worked with over time that I've seen some big improvements on their farm with, with uh, by improving soil health. But, you know, Jim, we, and, and I know this isn't the first time a cotton person or even any kind of production agriculture person has ever said, right now we're in between a rock and a hard place.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, you look at the price of cotton. You look at how much things cost. You know, I've talked, you know, at Farm Bureau last week uh, at the at the at the state uh, annual meeting. i visited, I had a chance to see a lot of a lot of uh, farmers I've worked with over time, and a lot of said they they made like the best crop ever, or the last two years they've made the best crops ever. But even even at that, you know, I you know I talked to people that made over sixteen hundred pounds on a farm average, and that's awesome but they sit, but they're still having a hard time paying the bills. Yeah. And, you know, you look at the budgets, you know, we'll have, we'll have 60 cents in our cotton. And so if you're paying, you know, 60 cents and, you know, markets around what mid seventies now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you own the land, it's not bad, but not, not a lot of folks own the land. So if you're paying 80%, I mean, if, if you got a 20% rent with no cost shares, well, that sixty cents jumps up to six bits or seventy-five cents, and that's about what the market is. So you're just you're just barely paying the bills if where our cotton market is, and you know we really need to be about ninety cents, but it is what it is. So so, you know, if we look at look at what we're doing, you know, things things aren't working so good, and we know we need to do something different, but in our current economic environment. If we don't make record yields, then we're not going to pay the bills. Right, and so it's very—it's a very difficult decision, and it takes a lot of. You got to be a, a very brave person to try new things, because we don't have the luxury of getting by with producing less mm-hmm. yield, because we've we've got to top it out. So there's a lot of things that we can do, and we could try, but we kind of we kind of get locked into doing the same old thing we've been doing because we know how to make that work and we know what to expect from that. And so it's, it's, it's very difficult. There's a lot of programs out there that, the, the climate smart programs to, to encourage people to try some of these new things. And I really think it's kind of, kind of like, you know, you know uh, I've got some relatives that had a knee replacement, Mm-hmm. And put it off and put it off and put it off kind of. And I think it's kind of like some of the farmers, you know, want to try cover crops and all this and some of the things, but anyway, they put that knee replacement off and then they got it done. They said, well, if I'd known it had been this good, I'd have done it a long time ago. <laughs> and, and so we're afraid to change and because of the uncertainties and all that. But a lot of times when we do change, we think, well, we should have done this a long time ago and that's kind of where we're at, Yeah. but, but it takes a lot of bravery to try the new things because if we fail, you know, even here on our livestock and forage operation, we had one really bad dry year and we, we decided, okay, we're going to borrow some money and have to buy some feed to kind of hang in. It took the next five year calf crops to pay off our, to get, mm-hmm. to get, to get that, that those loans paid off. And so in, in row crops the same way, one bad year, one really bad year, it'll take five years to overcome that. Yeah. And so, you know, we just, you know, if we're going to keep farming and not have to look for that job in town and, and we got to keep doing kind of the same thing. So, so we're really tough. I know some of the soil health things and, and going into regenerative uh, cotton production, I really think, you know, from the, the science end of that, that's the way we've got to go. But, you know, you get science and then you get the politics involved, you know, (laughs) you know, some of the people to get, to get cotton certified regenerative one size didn't fit all right how many times in the real world do things look like the picture in the book not very often and and some of the people writing rules want to think make everything look like the picture in the book and it don't work that way and so the science on regenerative cotton and then the actual practice of regenerative cotton in my opinion don't line up very well but I think some of those practices improving soil health I think is is the first place we got to go but, you know, I got, I got a lot of calls this summer from people that, that, that I worked with over time there, or they have done cover crops on their own and talked about, you know, where the fields that they farm is they have some landlords that are good with that and some landlords that aren't And the, in the fields where they had cover crops on. They were able to get by with way less irrigation, had to start watering, mm. um, you know, the soil moisture carried them a lot longer through the season. And so they were able to grow that cotton cheaper and they were so proud of their cotton because that cotton where they had cover crops looked better than the other cotton. And so, so it's there. It's just, we, 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 and, and it works. We just, it just, it just takes, <laughs> you got to be brave to do it. <laughs> I
0: think, I think right now the key is you got to be brave to be, to do almost anything right now, yeah, you know, right. and, and it, it doesn't matter what profession you're in or you know, or, or other situations. It's uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of squirreliness out there that, uh, you know, not always comfortable at the moment. Now you mentioned, you know, you, you talk to friends and and folks who are still involved in the cotton business here in in Arkansas. Um, And I looked at, looked up USDA's numbers, you know, final numbers, their final numbers, they say uh, from October, uh, saying that Arkansas had about 510,000 acres Of cotton this year yeah uh what's your best guess where's what do you think those acres may are are they going to be about the same or what are you hearing they're going to be up they're going to be down in the state next year
2: well i really think the you know the the people that have commitments to owning cotton equipment Mm -hmm. the commitments in the gin i really feel like our our sustainable cotton acres are going to be in and around half a million acres okay you know uh what was it a couple of years ago we had a little over 600,000 you know mm-hmm. we had some good prices you know the uh the insurance you know, and we had a lot we had a lot of new people get into cotton for various reasons uh so those acres really took a big jump up but then they kind of fell back down to to just a little bit above that half a million acre mark and I i really think that's you know when we look at people that that are in it for the long term to grow cotton and and some of the new guys are still, are they they're in it. They, mm-hmm. you know, they made big commitments mine with the, the the pickers and all that. They made commitments to be in it for the long haul, but I really think in around that half a million acres is, is where we're going to stay unless something really crazy comes on. Yeah.
0: Okay. Now this year you have, uh, you have taken on a slightly different role. You haven't mentioned it, but I will uh, as a, a frequent contributor, to cotton grower <laughs> uh and and certainly i appreciate that and i believe our readers appreciate it as well now you' hey, recently, glad to hear that glad yeah you, hear that. you recently wrote about things that growers need to keep in mind when selecting their cotton varieties for next season can you recap some of those recommendations for us
2: yeah um uh, you know there's there's a lot of different places to go to get information and and i like you know i like the the university the 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 non-biased research beta data and and the my old crew that are they're still running and still still working away i think our new cotton specialist is hired or is supposed to be coming on next may and so even the next round of variety tests will have to be in place before that new person comes on mm-hmm. but the the yield information is already up online from the variety tests that they had this year uh you know go to i just I, I usually just google arkansas variety testing and it pops up the the uada site and you can go to cotton and look at that and so those numbers are up and uh so look at things like that and and i like to look at uh you know we've, we've got a little bit of stability in terms of the of the varieties that are out there so i like to look to kind of see how they did at various places and over over the 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 course of the years to see how see how stable they are Uh, like you know when i look at data you know dr Boylan has an excellent variety testing program in arkansas but you know he has over 50 some odd varieties Mm -hmm. and you know we've got some of our some of our racehorse varieties if everything is right well man they they go to town but but if you don't if you If you're a little late on this or you don't quite do uh, some of our plant growth regulators, some of the different things, then they don't, they don't shine as well as they could. And so he doesn't have the luxury of doing things like that. I know that with the the large blocks that, that, uh, that the, the cotton guys are doing with the university, they can, they have a smaller number of varieties and they can manage those more timely with some of our inputs. And so, uh they'll be a little different in yield. So so a lot of times I, I like to look at see how they rank from one another over the uh over the course of locations. And, you know, in Arkansas we've got the luxury of looking at, you know, some lighter soil, some heavier soil. We've got with doc, with Dr. Boland's Friday test at Judd Hill, we've got uh he's at that location's pretty hot with Vert Wilt. Mm-hmm. And so we've got places that we can go to look at different things and and he does great bacterial blight uh, screening and I know that's very important especially some of them some of our northern counties the bacterial blight tolerance of varieties you know you either have it or you don't yeah. <laughs> and so that's very that's a very important decision when it comes to to variety selection so so look at some of those things and and uh and two you know I like to to kind of mix you know I never want to have one variety but I want to kind of mix things up with with variety maturity too because, you know, you just can't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, some years, you know, our earlier earlier mature varieties might do better. And some years our later mature varieties might do better. But we also got to think about, you know, we've got, you know, these million dollar pickers. We've got a lot of acres on those. Mm-hmm. So we have to get those in the field as quick as we can. And so planting some early maturing varieties on the front end of your planting window so we can have a place to put a picker in the field. Uh, the middle part of September here in Arkansas really does make a lot of difference because, you know, if you look, our our the hours we can have a machine running on the front end of the season of the harvest season is is a, is a lot more than the hours in the day toward the tail end. We got longer days and we got earlier starts, and a lot of times our 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 soils are drier. We can we can cover a lot more acres. So I've heard a lot of people saying, I truly believe this myself, that a day on the front end of the harvest equals a week on the back end of the harvest. And we know nothing works good in the mud (laughs) pickers, especially (laughs) these round module pickers. You know, they're kind of, they're, you know, you ride ride in those and visit with people and you know, they, 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 they some of them have them turned, a lot of them have them turned up and all that. And they're still a little underpowered because, you know, when you are going in that heavy gumbo mud, when it's wet, Picker's kind of moaning along, and then all of a sudden, when that round modular, when that round baler kicks in, it just whoa! It really pulls it down, <laughs> and so it just you know things things don't work good in the mud. No. So so having some strategy, you know, having a strategy to get the picker in the field as quick as you can is certainly one. And we we look at yield a lot. um Also, want to think about fiber quality. We've got. Uh, some varieties that are pretty comparable in terms of yield some have better fiber quality than others but but you know Jim the last few years we've had some some really good weather really good falls it's been hard on livestock and forage guys because and and people planting cover crops because we've had some really dry falls and it's hard to get some of our our winter annuals going uh, because it's just been so dry But but man we got beans out we got rice out we got cotton out really good this year and but in our cotton the grapes are really good i've talked nearly everybody i talked to said they're they're well they're over loan uh, Mm -hmm. price on their cotton with premiums and all that and uh so so you're spreading that risk out and you know i like you know, if I'm in northeast Arkansas, I like to look at, you know, Missouri's got a great testing program. Tyson over in Tennessee's got a great testing program. So I like, and like to look at a lot of different things. And then the, the companies, they do they do a lot of good testing, too, and and compare and see how their varieties compare to one another and 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 get a chance to see how how some of the newer varieties coming along are done i've heard a lot of really good things about some of the thrive on varieties and you know there's mm-hmm. some other people that's got those coming and the physiology the phys, physiologically i think they grow a little bit different and and i think they have a little more horsepower on the front end and and i've talked to people that was have been really excited about how well some of those varieties have done on some of their poorer ground because they just got they've got extra horsepower, that extra up, you know, like I talked about that picker being underpowered. Right. Well these have these have, you know, uh just a little extra help there. And it seems like that's uh giving them a little bit of advantage. I, I don't know how the the yields on those compare or anything, but but I'm excited about some of the new technology that's coming to see how that fits in. But, but still you gotta you gotta stay with what bring you to the dance and you need to try some of the new varieties on your for yourself mm-hmm. but but not get uh, too overly excited about some of the new things and and put too many of your eggs in one basket and have a bad year or have a bust on them and and uh, be looking for a job in town
0: yeah well you know this is the time of year you know as, as harvest has ended and plots have been have been picked and, and examined and things like that i mean we are we are literally moving into the new cotton variety introduction phase yeah of- of the business and and some of that will i think here within the next week we'll probably get the get the first view of uh of what some of those varieties are going to look like from from now yeah. until probably end first of february mid-february and it's yeah. always an exciting time just you know the it gives the seed companies have worked, put a lot of work into this and you know and they've got an awful lot of confidence in their in their research and the varieties and yeah uh, i don't think anybody's br- nothing nobody has brought anything out questionable in the last several years everything seems to be everything seems to be great
2: you know the new varieties coming on they have to win a lot of tests to get to where they are right and and i kind of and and i have to think about that when you look at some of the the large plot variety tests that the the companies i mean that the extension does you're not here and just in Arkansas, but in other places when you have 10 or 12 varieties you're all those those are the cream of the crop Mm -hmm. i know when we sell bulls jim we take a bunch of good bulls up there, but sometimes we'll, we'll take a bull up there that really doesn't need to work on somebody's farm is a bull. Yeah. But when you have that bull up there, there's just kind of a mediocre bull and you get all these other fantastic bulls and you can really appreciate how much better those fantastic bulls are than just a mediocre bull. <laughs> and so sometimes we, we forget about that. And we look at this and all these, you know, these 10 varieties or 12 varieties that we're testing in, in these uh, large plot tests. These are all really good bulls. And sometimes, you know, somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose, yeah. but it's hard to appreciate how good they all are compared if they if he had just just an average bull there so i kind of think about our variety (laughs) testing program like our marketing strategy when we try to sell bulls to people
0: because
2: if you don't have that one out there they really can't appreciate how good some of those little bull calves are
0: yeah that's that's great so looking ahead you know getting ready for another new year uh what's next for you looking ahead next year what's what's on your agenda
2: well we're just gonna gonna keep on keeping on uh Uh I know I've I've visited with, uh, my NRCS buddies on some things and, and I may look at, uh, exploring the potential to, for, to be, to do some things with them with, as a TSP, a technical service provider, Mm -hmm. because there's going to be a really great need for more, uh, soil health management plans. And, um, and I don't know if, you know to look into some of the nutrient management plans but some of the plans that are coming along that they're going to need people to have to qualify for some of these climate smart programs that are out mm-hmm. there right. there's going to be a really ne- big need for people to to help farmers write those plans and and I think having somebody that knows the science on that bus, but but also understands what goes on where the rubber meets the road on the farm is is very valuable, and and I think there's probably some opportunity there, and, and I'll have the flexibility because you know if Carrie can't teach class, well I'm the I'm the the substitute teacher, <laughs> <laughs> and so it gives me flexibility to do different things and and all of this. So so I'm gonna still say soil health and still stay here on the farm, but but look at maybe trying to do some things along that line that gives me some flexibility.
0: Yeah. Well, we, will we see you in Fort Worth at Beltwide? Just to walk in the door to to see old friends.
2: Well, I don't know. I've always wanted to go to that uh, the the no-till conference, and it mm-hmm. always kind of overlaps with the Beltwide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure if I'm going to make the Beltwide this year or, or go or or go to to Indianapolis to the the that no-till conference. Either, but I'll but I'll for sure be at the uh, cotton and rice conference in Jonesboro. Sure. It's right in my back door. That, that's a great conference too. Yeah.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Well, Bill, thanks so much for taking time uh, to join me today. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to, con- to uh, continuing to work and visit with you on multiple topics as we move into, uh, into next year. <laughs> and uh, certainly hope you and Carrie and, and the family have a-, a-, a wonderful Christmas and a very happy new year.
2: Well, right back to you, um, and and I hope your family has a, has a good holiday too. And and I and I always enjoy uh, visiting with you and working with you. And so, look forward to continuing that relationship.
0: That's great. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate See it. See you, man.
2: Bye. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's it for this episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. Thanks again to Bill Robertson for joining in today. Thanks, too, to the American Cotton Shippers Association for their participation and sponsorship with the Cotton Companion. And as always, thanks to you, dear listeners, for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like what you heard, please be sure to spread the word and tell your friends about the Cotton Companion podcast. Here's where and how they can find us.
1: You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First... Go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, the Cotton Grower e-news, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine.
0: The Cotton Companion Podcast is produced twice monthly by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues at the world headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. I'm Jim Stedman, and Beck Barnes and I will be back with you in a few weeks with the first official report of new cotton varieties and some other pre-holiday news all in the next episode of the cotton companion until then stay safe yeah it works and it works and it works and it works all day god made fun. farmer yeah it works and it works and it works and it works and it